Look in your home. Look in your office. Look in your home office. Everywhere you turn, there's so much smart. At Capella University, we think education should be smart too. Our game-changing FlexPath format puts you in control of your master's degree, so you can learn how, when, and where you want. Smart, huh? Yeah, we think so too. So if you want to take the next step in your career, make Capella your first step. Visit capella.edu to learn more. Capella University. Don't just learn, learn smarter. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to another Hall of Fame edition, I'll call this one, of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, of course, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the I'm Fat Podcast. I'll have you people know. Jay, we kind of were hoping that Marion Hosa would get into the Hall of Fame today. Like, I was probably about 80% confident that he would. He did. And then we got the added bonus of Doug Wilson making it as well. So we have a two for a Blackhawks today who are going to be enshrined in Toronto. How are you feeling today as a Blackhawks fan, my friend? Well, today is a, has suddenly become a really big day in Blackhawks history. We're also celebrating the seventh anniversary of 17 seconds. So now, all of a sudden, June 24th has become very, very meaningful in Blackhawks history. We're going to get to all of it. If you want to get in touch with us, it's very easy. Email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at madhousepod, Facebook at madhousehockeychi. And what am I missing? Anything else I want to say? Oh, yeah, of course, madhousepod.com. That's our website. It's got everything you need, including every episode, links to our sponsors, all that good stuff. That's at madhousepod.com. So if you've not checked that out, make sure you do because I don't promote it nearly enough. I think, James, we begin with Marion Hosa, and you said you were about 80% confident that he was going to get in. Leading up to today, I was very, very confident. I felt for sure like he's going to get in. It was a, it was a no-brainer. If you look at his numbers compared to other Hall of Famers, and we'll do that a little bit later too, it was kind of seemed obvious. But then as the day went on, I don't know, something changed. I started to get kind of worried about it, kind of nervous about it, um, but very happy to see the Hockey Hall of Fame Twitter account. He was the second announcement after Ken Holland, who also very much deserves his place in Hockey's Hall of Fame. Uh, but Marion Hosa, Hall of Famer. Oh, man, what a, such a cool moment. When we look back on the legacy of this dynasty era of the Blackhawks, you're talking a minimum four Hall of Famers. That is remarkable and noteworthy. And really, just thinking about where this team was 15 years ago, almost impossible to imagine. Yeah, and it is it is wild that they were able to assemble uh, the talent that they ended up having on this roster and to do it, obviously, in the ways that they were able to do it, whether it was via trade or whether it was via free agency or the draft. Like, there were so many guys who played such pivotal roles on this team in the modern era, and obviously today being the anniversary of 17 seconds, it was great to kind of look back and reflect on all of the impacts that all of these different players had on the team. And, of course, I know you've mentioned this at nauseum on the podcast. I'm sure that I've mentioned it on Twitter when discussing the great free agent 
agent signings in Chicago sports history. And Marion Hosa is just, he's so in the conversation. He's among the top two or three easily on that list. And he made such a massive impact when he came to the Blackhawks. And he came in as a guy who had fallen short of the Stanley Cup in back-to-back seasons, had gotten a lot of flack for that, I'm sure, for being on the wrong side of uh, the Penguins, Red Wings finals in consecutive seasons. He came into Chicago, and I know he was injured at the start of the year, but he made such a easily identifiable impact not only on that team from an offensive perspective, but I think from a defensive one as well. I know that obviously a lot of words have been spoken about what a tremendous defensive forward Marion Hosa was for the Blackhawks. And without him, I, I, I'm sure Jonathan Taves would have developed into a just fine defensive player anyway, but he clearly took his game to another level on that side of the ice. And Hosa also had a huge impact on guys like Brandon Saad as well. So just that that, that that ability to elevate the team on both ends of the ice was just so readily apparent to Blackhawks fans throughout the eight seasons that he spent in Chicago that today just feels like such an awesome validation of everything that Marion Hosa did while he was here and it was so he was so so worthy of the honor that he received today. Yeah, I, I've used this term a lot, and I, I know I used it for the first time in this podcast when we had our uh, sucky uh, Marion Hosa has to retire. Uh, podcast. I, I called it an honor to watch Marion Hosa play, and I I stand by that. I think uh, I don't I don't take that word lightly. I think there's there's a few players I've seen over my time watching hockey where I can use that term. There's a lot of guys who are really really great. Mark Lazarus said it well too. Today he said that Mario Lemieux was the best player he's ever covered. Patrick Kane is the most electrifying, and Marion Hosa was his favorite. And one highlight that was in the Athletics piece today about Hosa that I'd sort of forgotten about. There's a moment, and I, I forgive me that the year is escaping me, but there's a play where Pavel Datsuk comes behind Hosa and pickpockets Hosa and heads the other way. Immediately, Hosa puts his head down full speed, goes to the other end of the ice, and returns the favor. And Pavel Datsuk is actually somebody that Marion Hosa credits a lot with his. Um, I don't know. He he was always good defensively, but but Hosa so Hosa will say that. It, Eric, it went to a different level after playing and learning from Pavel Datsuk after just one year. But those are the things. It's funny, James, when you look back, he scored so many memorable goals for the Blackhawks, none more net memorable than Nashville Game 5. But when I think about Hosa highlights, they're almost always him doing some incredible feat of strength, like stealing the puck from an all-star or fending off a couple defenders with one hand. It's those moments of dominance that stand out to me. With almost every other player I can think of in, in my hockey-watching career, if it's not a fight or a big hit, it's almost always a goal. With Marion Hosa, the things I remember the most, the things that stand out the most vividly, are some of those defensive moments. And that, I think that, if there was any doubt about Hosa's merits as a Hall of Famer, that level of defensive play had to be you know, the final piece of the puzzle for him. Well, absolutely, and I think that it speaks to the evolution of Marion Hossa as a player that, yeah, he was never a bad defensive player, so to speak, when he was playing with Ottawa and with Atlanta and then with Detroit and Pittsburgh, they mostly looked to him to be an offensive guy. They wanted him to score a bunch of goals and to constantly be a puck mover and to be definitely more of an offensive forward than any anything. When he came to the Blackhawks, they asked him to kind of play that a different role because they would pair him up with Jonathan 
Jonathan Tabes and they'd say, hey, yes, you do still, you're still going to have opportunities to score. You're still going to have opportunities to create offense. But way more importantly, we also need you to be more of a two way player as well. And I know that, like you said, Hosa did start to learn those lessons under Pavel Datsuk, but he was really able to kind of put that into practice with the Blackhawks. And as his career went on, as he slowed down a little bit, as he became more of a veteran player, you could just tell that the hockey IQ was there. He knew exactly what he needed to do to remain a viable and a really good hockey player throughout the entire tenure of his career and even in his final season with the Blackhawks you could still see that guy who was able to make a big impact on both ends of the ice and it just speaks to him for his intelligence and for his skill that he was able to do so many things so well for so many years and like you said just absolutely was an honor to watch that guy play and he taught me a lot just about the way hockey could be played by guys who are on the forward position well what you just said about uh, everything's sort of coming together defensively as he's got older in his career and his hockey IQ going up. I think that's kind of what we're seeing from Patrick Kane right now is while maybe he's lost a little bit and not a lot of it, but maybe a little bit of that speed that he had as a young player and, you know, maybe a little bit of the uh, physical abilities he had in the early part of his career, the mental part of the game has gotten so huge with Patrick Kane that that is what has kept him at this MVP level. He is one of the smartest players in the game. He's a student of the game, and it really shows another guy who's sort of similar to that, but his body has, has failed him more than, well, not more than Hosa's, but more than Patrick Kane's is Brent Seabrook. That's a guy who he's always been a smart hockey player, and if you watch him when he plays now, you can still see what he wants to do is the right thing to do. <laughs> Sometimes right. he just can't get there. With Marion Hosa. He was the combination of all of that, and that's what made him so special. And what's really cool about this is when you think back to that day in the summer of 2009, uh, 11 years ago, in, in a you know a couple days, um, you know, thinking that this guy, this free agent signing, Marion Hosa, would be enshrined in the Hall of Fame as a Chicago Blackhawk, it, it's crazy to think that, right? Like just co considering everything he'd accomplished earlier in his career in Ottawa and Atlanta and, of course, in Pittsburgh and, and Detroit. Uh, but I always thought, like, oh, he'll be remembered as a senator. He had his best years there probably, some good years in Atlanta too. But now that he's accomplished everything he has in Chicago, he's going to be remembered as a Blackhawk, uh, and that's awesome. Uh, real quick, want to tell you about our friends at Triple Threat Sports, triplethreatsports.com. They are still churning out those COVID masks, so hit up Chris Hubble, Chris at triplethreatsports.com. Give him a call, 708-478-6090. You want a plain mask, you want a logoed mask, you want one mask, you want 10,000 masks, Chris at Triple Threat Sports will hook you up. So Chris at triplethreatsports.com, 708-478-6090. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. James, I put a question on our Madhouse Podcast Twitter account, at Madhouse Pod, uh, about two hours ago. We're recording this at 7 p.m. on, what day is today? Wednesday? The question yep. is, and I know this is not a, it's not a fair question to ask because if they don't sign Marion Hosa, they use the money elsewhere and the roster doesn't look the same. But if you take Marion Hosa off the teams, how many cups, here's the question, how many cups would the Blackhawks have won without Marion Hosa? Now, I'm going to have, because you told me you've not looked at this yet. The options are right. zero, one, two, and three. Do you want to guess which is leading in, far, in terms of these votes? You clearly have a lot of people who are saying other, and they're saying they should have won four or more. That's clearly what it is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going to guess that the answer is one. 
One that's is, the one that's getting the most pop, the most votes. It's close, but it is not the leading vote getter as of now. We've got almost 500 votes. 48.2% say zero Stanley Cups without Marion Hosa. 41.9% say one. 7.8% say two. 2.2% say three. I say they would have won one without Hosa. They had enough talent on that team where they would have won one. Maybe it's hard to say, but I think that 2013 team uh, was, was the best of the three. And I think even without Marion Hosa, that team could have won a Stanley Cup. What do you think? I The reason I ended up going with one was because I think that they probably jumped ahead in their championship window by having him on that roster in 2009-2010. That's fair. I think it allowed, it allowed other guys to slot into more advantageous roles, I think, and they did get to learn from him, and they kind of uh, had a little bit of a swagger that I'm sure having a <clears throat> excuse me quality veteran guys on the team like John Madden and like Marion Hosa would do. And so I think that... That, that championship was definitely influenced by the addition of guys like Marion Hosa, and so I'm probably going to agree with you and say that they would they would have taken at least one, like you said. That 2013 club was so good, and I know that a lot of folks have kind of, have maybe asked themselves over the years whether it kind of impacted them to like have a 48-game season instead of an 82-game season. That team was gelled together from the word go, and yeah. I think that even in an 82-game season, that's still probably the most complete collection of talent that the Blackhawks had and they had Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane basically at the peak of their powers so I think that they would have definitely won at least that one without Marion Hossa so I'm going to probably go ahead and say one but I will say that they maybe could have snuck in and won a second one somewhere along the line without him okay so hockeyreference.com uh, if you've ever farted around on the reference pages the baseball reference football reference all those great websites They've got similarity scores, which compares players' careers to other players with similar careers. Who are – I'm not going to make you guess. This is tough. Here are Marion Hosa's most similar players by career. Mark Messier, Brendan Shanahan, Luke Robitaille, Daniel Alfredson, Joe Thornton, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Madano, Matt Sundin, some dude named Stan Makita, and Mark Recchi. Those are all really good players. I think eventually all of them will be in. The only one I would see maybe not getting in would be Pierre Turgeon because he was so one-dimensional. Um, but I think the re the rest of that list, I know Alfredson did not get in today, but I think he'll be in at some point as the greatest player in a franchise's history, the Ottawa Senators. Mm -hmm. Do um, you think that Shane Doan is going to get in? <sighs> Probably, maybe for the same reason too that I same think reason. that Alfredson will get in because he was by far the team's best player uh, throughout their history and was with one team for the whole time. I know sometimes that doesn't matter, um, but I, I think Shane Doan was a really good player for a really long time anyway. But I do think the longevity with one franchise definitely helps his chances. I I would be inclined to agree with that. I did. I appreciated. Uh, Mark Lazarus's tweet about the Coyotes. He said, Marion Hosa is the third Coyotes alum to become a Hall of Famer. But he did <laughs> he did forget one other guy, so there are technically four. Who are the other three, Jay? Oh, God. Uh, Ron Francis. No, I'm on the no. wrong team. Hang on, Carolina. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm thinking of Carolina for some reason. <sighs> okay. Give me the question again so I can make sure I'm, I'm hearing it clearly. 
He said that Marion Hosa is the third. He's actually the fourth. Okay. Coyotes alum to become a Hall of Famer. <laughs> he claims this is the case. I have not independently verified this. If this is incorrect, please yell at Mark Lazarus. I, I don't I off the top of my head I, I don't know, but I'm sure there are like one year, two year guys that I'm just blanking on. Even even better. One of them is a zero year guy and his name is Chris Pronger. <laughs> Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, so, but but by by the same logic that Marion Hosa is considered a Coyotes alum, so is Chris Pronger. I, you're right. You're right about so that. So the the other two are Mike Gartner, apparently. Okay. Yep. And Br- Mark says Brett Hall. I I need to look that up. Was he like? I have no recollection of him on the Coyotes. I think he meant Bobby Hall because Bobby Hall technically played for the Jets. Maybe. Did Brett Hall play for the Coyotes? Maybe he did. By the way, while you're looking that up, Shane Doan's similarity scores, by the way, maybe not a Hall of Famer. Henry Richard, Jason Arnott, Rod Brindamore, Ryan Smith, Vyacheslav Kozlov, Rick Tockett, Alex Delvecchio, Dave Keon, Vincent Domfus, and Doug Waite. Those are all really good players, but they're not all Hall of Famers. So maybe Brett not. Hall, by the way, played five games for the Phoenix Coyotes. I don't remember that, but you said it, and I was like, "Wait!" I tried to picture him in the old like Sedona style, whatever, right? Uh, uniform, and it did not seem totally foreign. But is that like Chris Chelios, the Atlanta Thrasher? That yes, that <laughs> is completely correct. And by the way, I I will point out that uh, Bobby Hall's number is retired by the Coyotes. Okay. Well, you know, I guess you need one. That's very weird. <laughs> well, his his number hangs in the rafters of the, I think it's the Gila River Arena now out yes. there in Phoenix. You would know. You're Mr. Coyote. And it is actually in blue and white and red I because of the Jets, obviously. Well, yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Um, and also, by the way, Mark did also point out the uh, the the alumni for the Atlanta Thrashers that have made the Hall of Fame. Hosa is in a class with Chris Chelios and with Mark Recchi. Uh I would imagine that Ilya Kovalchuk will be there, maybe? I believe he will be, yes. And I, I also think, so. think that Shane Doan will be, so I think that's at least you know a couple of players from those respects. Oh, and Pavel Datsuk. We can't forget about him. He'll also be a Coyote <laughs> yeah, the, the alum Coyote. to make the Hall of Fame. Man, they, they are uh, one of the best teams of all time if you have guys who never played a single game for them, or 10 games or less if you want to get It's almost like uh, they're the White too. Sox, but they're more committed to it. Yeah, Manny Ramirez, Ken Griffey Jr., it's, um, yep. uh, Roberto Alomar. <laughs> I, I did. I know we still have to get to Doug Wilson. Like, yeah, this we will. Is full of, full of uh, digressions. Fair or foul, the Boston Bruins congratulated Jerome McGinley on making the Hall of Fame today and posted a picture of him wearing a Bruins jersey. The Red Wings did the same thing for Hosa. Um, I guess it's fair. As long as they're not trying to say, like, Bruins star Jerome McGinley. They're just acknowledging, like, hey, this guy played for us and we like him. I don't have a huge problem with it. Well, Hosa played 74 games for the Red Wings. How many games did – oh, Ginla played 78 with Boston. So, I guess if one's uh, if yeah. one's fair, so's the other. What about the Kings? Did the Kings acknowledge Jerome Ginla? I I have not seen that Wasn't, yet. Did he play a game for them? I think he had to, right? 
He played 19 games for oh, the Kings, as a matter of <laughs> this, fact. Here's a fun, uh, before the uh, hockey playoffs ramp up, here's a fun thing. If you want to email us, madhousepod at gmail.com. Great players who played a handful of games for teams you don't remember. <laughs> All right, before- I, I do. I did really like Brett Hall because I was like, oh, did Mark screw up? Did he mean Bobby Hall because Bobby Hall's number is retired by the Coyotes? And then sure enough, Brett played five freaking games for us. Who could so. forget, aside from literally everybody? All right, before we get to uh, good old number 24, Doug Wilson, wanted to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. Hot chicken. It is one of the best food items on the planet. I've I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've had all the staples in Nashville. Fry the Coop is better than all of them, and I don't say that lightly. I would not. I would lie to you, or I'd be like, it's almost as good as those, or it's as good as those. Nope, it's better than all of those. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, West Town are open right now. They do have another location on Well Street Market. They're currently closed. I'm not sure what the plan is in the coming days as Phase 4 begins. That might be opening up soon, so keep your eye on frythecoop.com. I've been reading you uh, items from the menu, but I'll just tell you what I get when I go. Every time I get that tender plate, three jumbo tenders with fries and coleslaw, I get two medium and a hot because the hot are really hot. But if you've got, uh, you know, if you're willing to take a risk, there's a couple other options for you. Heat-wise, there's crazy, and there's a little insanity. So two levels above hot. And for me, a guy that loves spicy food, the hot is a struggle. I will sweat. I will, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of breathe heavily as I'm eating it, but it's worth it. It's delicious. Go check them out. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop and Fry the Coop. Com. All right, James, Doug Wilson, San Jose Sharks GM and uh, Blackhawks legend, finally, after all these years, in the Hall of Fame. And I know uh, podcast audiences skew younger. I know that the Blackhawks fan base is made up of a lot of people who jumped on over the last 11, 12 years. I'm going to read an ex- excerpt from my upcoming book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments Who Made the Chicago Blackhawks. Here's a little piece of what I wrote about Doug Wilson. Uh, Here we go. All Wilson managed to do was win a Norris Trophy, make the All-Star team seven times, and become the Blackhawks' all-time leading scorer for defensemen with 779 points. That point total puts him ahead of Dennis Hull, Pitt Martin, and Jeremy Roenick. Jonathan Taves passed Doug Wilson during the 2019-20 campaign, the 13th season of his NHL career. Wilson is currently 15th all-time for NHL defenseman with 827 points between Chicago and San Jose. At the time of his retirement, the only defensemen with more career points than Wilson were Bobby Orr, Dennis Potvin, Ray Bork, and Paul Coffey. All four of those players are in the Hall of Fame. The only one of them who can claim to be as defensively competent as Wilson is Bobby Orr, who may be the best player in the history of the game, not named Gretzky. The only defenseman in NHL history to win a Norris Trophy and not be in the Hall of Fame is Randy Carlisle. Doug Wilson has 180 more career points than Randy Carlisle. A little more. In November of 2019, the Daily Herald's Barry Rosner wrote about why Wilson might not be in the Hall of Fame. He says, quote, The league was really run by Bill Wirtz, and Wirtz was closely aligned with Alan Eagleson and Bob Pulford, all of them sticking by one another until the end. As president of the NHLPA, it was Doug Wilson who led the charge to remove Eagleson, the man with massive conflicts of interest as a Players Association director who stole from players, got in bed with owners, and was eventually jailed for fraud and embezzlement. 
but in the process of trying to form a legitimate NHLPA, Doug Wilson was blackballed. There's no other explanation for his exclusion from the Hall of Fame. So that exclusion is now over to Blackhawks in the Hall of Fame today, Marion Hosa and Doug Wilson. It's a great day for Blackhawks fans. Congratulations to both those guys. Now the question is, Jeremy Roenick, Steve Larmer, are these guys running out of time? Do they have a chance? I think both of them are Hall of Famers. And I know I'm a Hawks fan, and I know Jeremy Roenick is my favorite hockey player ever, off the ice, whatever, but on the ice, my favorite. Both those guys should be in. And and the more time that goes by, the more I worry that they're going to get left behind. I, I mean, where do you even start? Like, I honestly, like, I was completely taken by surprise by this happening today. Like, I, it's just been, it's been so long since he's been eligible for the Hall of Fame. I didn't even think about it being, like, a possibility that he could potentially get in. I mean, think about it. He retired 27 years ago. Yeah. Like, and, and I, when I first saw that he'd gotten in, I was like, he wouldn't be brought in as a builder, would he? And then I saw that Ken Holland had also gotten in, and so I was like, well, I guess he's in as a player then. I don't know, but, I mean, his resume obviously speaks for itself. Like you said, Jay, almost a 1,000 career games with the Blackhawks. Their all-time leader among blue liners in points. Norris Trophy winner had come close to winning that on several other occasions. I mean, Wilson clearly had a really strong career, and – just kind of looking back on it, obviously he played a little bit before my time. I like barely remember him playing. I mean, he left the Blackhawks, I think, when I was six years old or so. So, like, it, there's not a whole lot of memories that go into it for me and Doug Wilson. But obviously, looking back at those statistics, looking at his Norris Trophy votes and all that stuff, it sure seems like this was a long overdue honor for Doug Wilson. And if for no other reason, he should be honored by the Blackhawks because he provided one of the biggest boosts to their future team. Because in 2010, he offered mm -hmm. Nick Jalmerson an offer sheet, forced the Blackhawks to match it. They got rid of Anthony Niemi, and it ushered in the Corey Crawford era. Boom. Thanks, Doug Wilson. We appreciate you. You know what, though? That was a really savvy move for him because he knew by offering that offer sheet to Jalmerson that the worst-case scenario is he ends up with Anthony Niemi. So that was really smart for him. And, of course, the Hawks made the right decision in choosing Jalmerson over Niemi. Oh, I mean, wow. That that did not seem as easy at the time when that was all happening after the 2010 season. People were like, I don't know, Nicholas Jalmerson, he, he could end up being really good. But Niemi, maybe they'll win a cup without him in 2010. The right choice was made. They kept the right guy. And uh, that's a – man, but you're right. But I, I do think, too, though, that Wilson's – even if he's not in for the merits as a, as a GM, which he probably should be. He hasn't won a cup, but that team's been competitive his entire tenure. Um, that has kept him in the spotlight. You know, Roenick has the spotlight of being on TV or maybe being on Used TV to. again at some point, right? Uh, but Steve Larmer doesn't really have anything keeping him in the minds of people, aside from the people in Chicago sort of, you know, propping him up for induction. But do the work. When my book comes out, you can read all about it. I mean, he is absolutely a Hall of Fame player. Absolutely. By the way, Doug Wilson, one of the last guys in hockey to not wear a helmet. Young James Naveau, do you know the last player in the NHL to not wear a helmet? We'll see. Let's I got to be honest with you. I had thought that when I saw his name today pop up, I was like, was he the last guy? Like, he was I not. couldn't. 
Yeah, I couldn't remember, so I was like, yeah, I gave up, and I didn't end up looking up the answer to that question. Craig McTavish, the ah, last yes, NHL old, player. Good old Guts McTavish. Yep, yanking the uh, tongue off the uh, Calgary Flames mascot, the finest moment <laughs> of his career. You know what? He frankly <laughs> had it coming. Let's well, just he did, be honest absolutely, here. Absolutely he did. All right, we've got another anniversary to celebrate today. We're going to take a quick time out. First, I want to tell you about our friends at Marishka's and Crest Hill 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. Go try the poor boy. Go get the steaks, the chops, the seafood. They are open for business, so go to marishkas.com or facebook.com slash marishkas. You're going to love it. I'm going out there. I'm making the decision, damn it. I'm going next week. I'm going to find a day that works for me to go to Marishkas and get that poor boy. I have been craving it like crazy. Every time I do a read for Marishkas, I die a little bit inside because it's been so long since I've been there pandemic damn you i need a poor boy i'm gonna go i had my first outdoor dining experience tonight james i'll talk to you about it off the air because they're not a sponsor yet (laughs) it was lovely though it really felt normal for the first time forever so i'm gonna go return the favor to marish because they've been supporting us forever it's time for me to do my part and go visit our friends go so join me 604 theater street and crest hill you will absolutely love it let's take a quick time out reset get a drink of water and we will remember the 2013 Blackhawk Stanley Cup Championship after this on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back in, friends, to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We've been spending our time talking about the induction of Marion Hossa and Doug Wilson into the Hockey Hall of Fame. By the way, I was not the only person who was caught unaware by the induction of Wilson today. It took the Blackhawks Twitter account a good solid 20 minutes to be like, oh, wait, he got in too. We need to send something out. They had all these lovely graphics ready for Marion Hossa, all these emotional memories, and then Doug Wilson happened and they were like, Oh, for the love of God, crap, we have to do this too. Hey, so this would the Blackhawks under- were even caught unaware. It was not just me, and I feel a little bit better about myself because of that. That would not have happened under the watchful eye of John McDonough. Just saying. Just saying. Attention to detail. That's what that John McDonough is known for. I was waiting for the email to come like instantly across the wire as soon as it happened. I'm like, mm, come on, Hawks, let's go. You know, McDonough would be cracking some whips over there. Sheesh. Just slacking, that's all. I'm obviously kidding. Kind no, of. you're not. You're dead serious. No, but I mean, I it doesn't matter, but it absolutely would not have been that long if you would. Who cares? Okay, it's a pandemic. People have excuses. Whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, yes, 17 seconds. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again because it was one of the most wild nights of my life. In 2013, uh, the show I was working on at the time, which was uh, Matt Spiegel and Dan McNeil, and they were together, oddly enough, for this couple weeks of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, we traveled to Boston for the series, and for game six, I had post-game duties on the score, so they put me in. Uh, we were at the WEEI studios, which are not in downtown Boston, like kind of in the burbs a little bit. So I'm in a studio, which is probably like a production studio, not a typical on-air studio, dialed into the board at the score, just waiting for the game to end. And across from me is an FM DJ doing his show. He's wearing a Bruins jersey. He's, you know... Got really long hair. Kind of looks like Axl Rose, whatever. So what's crazy is we're both watching this game. Clearly, I'm cheering for the Hawks. Clearly, he's cheering for the Bruins. And we can see each other (laughs) as the entire game's going on. So, you know, it's 2-1. Time's running out. I'm a nervous wreck. He's standing up. He's getting excited that the Bruins are going to win and force a game seven. 
and then Pickle scores, and I jumped so high and pounded the table that he literally like kind of jumped. I hit the table so hard, and this is between soundproof glass. Okay, then 17 seconds later, Dave Boland scores, and in a couple minutes now, all of a sudden, I would, I'm you know I'm preparing for overtime, getting my notes ready. Hawks take the lead. Like crap, I got to be on the air in a few minutes, so I'm scrambling. All of a sudden, I can't connect to the score. Somehow the connection has been lost. So the game ends. I pick up my cell phone, start hosting the show from my cell phone. Okay, so I'm interviewing. I think this was such a, a blur, but I'm interviewing John McDonough from my phone while he's on someone else's phone. This is all on the air in the score. Okay, just two phone call. It's literally airing a phone call. Um, in the other hand, I have another phone talking to the engineer in Boston. So I'm like, yeah, okay, John, hey, congratulations on winning the Stanley Cup. You know, your second in three years, you know, four years, how does it feel? Oh, you know, it sounds great. Take the phone off my ear, talk to the engineer. Okay, what the hell do I need to do to get reconnect again? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, hang on. Yeah, that sounds great, John. Hey, you know, we really enjoy the night. <laughs> so I'm interviewing John McDonough while talking to an engineer on the other phone. It was by far the craziest moment of my radio career. I was not as uh, not laughing about it as much then. <laughs> I wasn't laughing about it as much then as I am now. I was livid, and I was trying to make sure I wasn't swearing on the air because I was so mad because everything was fine, and then somebody went and messed with something. But to me, that is my vivid memory of uh, <laughs> of the 17 seconds is panic they're going to lose and have to f- play a game seven, jubilation that they've tied it, panic that, holy crap, they're up now, and I have to get ready for a show that's going to start in a few minutes, to absolute panic of, holy crap, we're no longer connected and I have to be on the air here in a minute. It was absolute chaos and uh, I'll never forget it. That, that If people say, like, what's the one story from your radio career that you'll never forget, that's the one. I still insist that you're the one who screwed it up because you and your table-pounding antics. You might be right. Shit. <laughs> that might be correct. Well, there's no way to prove it, though, so it's not even worth talking about it. But I did right, hit the table, not. really. But the table was not the console. The table was a side. It was another part of. Okay, I might have done it. Damn it. <laughs> the count was the console on the table by chance. Well, the console's in the table. It's like built into the you know the mix. Oh yeah, board. because like, I'm sure that's not gonna. No vibration, no reverberation is going to happen from that. But it was. It's like a right angle table. So the board's in front of me. The table I hit was to my left. So it's like an L table. Well, clearly so, it was a wrong angle table. Nice, well done. But it was the. Other side, the other, whatever. Yes, I might have broken it. Fine. <laughs> I like how you keep like defending yourself and then going, you know, I might actually be wrong. I have no proof that I didn't the, break it. The, ge- <laughs> the gears are turning <laughs> in the head of Jay Zawoski right now. He's like, can I possibly justify my behavior? Did I actually like oh, the, cause this technological <laughs> hiccup? The behavior was absolutely warranted. I mean, it was a chaotic moment. It was a huge moment in the history of my hockey fandom. I'm not mad that I was excited, but yeah, yeah, it might have been me. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, what did you break the night of game six in 2013, uh, James? (laughs) uh, We broke our couch, I believe. I believe that is what ended up happening. I I think uh, there was so much. There were literally, I have a two-bedroom apartment. It's about 850, 900 square feet, so not a big place and we had probably 30 people in here for that game 
and you could pretty much hear a pin drop during the third period of the game because they were down two to one. My friend, one of my friends was over here and he just enjoys like relishes kind of being the troll. So like he'll always like kind of needle you and he's like rooting for Boston and doing whatever. And uh, my wife to this day says that she wanted to throw him off of the balcony. And I don't think she would have been opposed by anybody other than him, obviously. And so like, he's just talking all sorts of smack, all sorts of craziness. I'm blogging about the game. I'd literally been on the job with NBC for like two and a half months. So how dry was were you? like, help, help. What's that? Were you drunk at all? No, no, were you No, I dude, I, this pro. was still early enough in my tenure at NBC that I didn't want to screw anything up. I didn't want to like get fired for sending out like a misspelled headline or something like that. So my, my story of 2013, 2010 was complete jubilation because I was just kind of like, you know, goofing around and freelancing. Everything was fine. 2015, I was at the United Center. So my reaction to them winning the cup was muted. I didn't say anything to anybody other than, you know, up oh, time to go downstairs and talk to guys and go out on the ice and blah, blah, blah. But 2013, fear. 100% fear that I would screw something up. And so, like, when Bickle scored the goal, obviously I celebrated, but I was also like, okay, I need to get the story ready for overtime potentially. I need to make sure all my ducks in a row. And, oh, my God, Dave Bolin just scored. What the hell do I do? Oh, my God. And it just was like this whole cascading thing. I have friends jumping up and down on the couch, hugging each other since the game is coming close to ending. And I'm sitting there feverishly trying to rewrite my lead of my story and my head headline and all that stuff and it just all kind of passed in a blur like that minute of game time that kind of transpired between all of that and the end of the game is just all a complete blur to me like I have very vivid memories of Kane scoring the goal in Philadelphia of watching Kane and Keith score in game six of the final in 2015 I barely remember anything about 2013 because it just was all like so nerve wracking for me. And then when they finally won it, obviously there was at least some relief that my ordeal was finally over. Yeah. You know, relief is a, is a good word for it um, because barf cry die was a famous meme during the Blackhawks playoffs. I don't remember who gets credit for it, but somebody in the Blackhawks hockey Twitter sphere there was also that. fruit and crap, which was one that I really enjoyed. <laughs> fruit and crap with Seabrook, yeah. But but the it was so it, watching all those Cup playoff series were so stressful. And when mm-hmm. you got to the Stanley Cup final, it almost felt like just just let me off the hook, just one way or another. Just something happened. Someone like hit me with a bus, so I don't have to feel this tension anymore. The worst I ever felt it was the Detroit series in 2013, before Game Seven of that series where Seabrook won it in overtime, dude, I could not sit down the entire day. That was the most stressed out I've been, but like just going back now, cause they've been showing recently, they've been showing the 2015 playoffs. And when you watch them, you know, now in hindsight, you kind of recognize how good the Hawks were and how, even when they weren't winning the game for the most part, they had things under control. Sometimes they just wouldn't win, but they were almost always the better team on the ice. When you're watching it in real time, every mistake is catastrophic. Every turnover is like, what are you doing? But when you go back and watch knowing the outcome, you really get to see and appreciate how awesome those teams were. And I I still 
2013 team, I don't think there's much argument about it, was the best of the three. I think 2010 was my favorite just because yeah. everything came together a little bit earlier than expected because of Hosa, because of John Madden, because of all those things. Uh, man, it's just... The, the, go, I'm so glad. It's like the one good thing to come out of this pandemic is I get to go back and watch old Hawks playoff games without the stress. Boy, your mouth to God's ear, man. Be <laughs> hot, like Playoff hockey can be the absolute greatest thing in the world when your team is not involved and you can just root for chaos and nonsense and whatever else. <laughs> but when it's your team, there is nothing worse. It is so bad and you're like watching through your fingers and you just can't even like deal with the emotion and the heaviness of the moments and I'm so glad that they won all three of the cup finals that they were in because I thought 2014 was a nut punch when they lost in the conference final imagine oh. if they had lost in the Stanley Cup final in one of those three years I, especially in 2010 that would have absolutely sucked so I'm glad they didn't yeah Oh, man, I'm just, you know, I'm getting sweaty just thinking about those games. And speaking of being sweaty, you don't want to smell bad. Say, this sounds like a transition. It sure does, doesn't it? We, Our newest partner on the Madhouse podcast is Dr. Squatch. They are a made-in-the-USA soap company. I've told this story. I'll keep it short in case you've heard it before. I was scrolling through Instagram one night, and Dr. Squatch's ad caught my eye. It was really funny. It was appealing. Uh, and I've been someone who had been dealing with skin conditions for a long time i didn't have anything like medical but my hands would be so dry that between my fingers would literally crack and bleed there was one day working at the score where a trickle of blood was running down my knuckle just from sitting there with you know that's how cracked and dry my skin was so i was desperate for a change i'd been using the three-in-one shampoo conditioner soap made by another soap company i'm like screw this i need to try something new their ad was informative so i ordered a couple bars of Dr. Squatch. I got the cedar citrus and I got the pine tar. And I'm not kidding you, within a couple days, my hands were completely different. I'm feeling my hands right now. They're smooth. The areas between my fingers are soft. They're not cracked. They're not white and flaky. The pine tar and the cedar citrus, like I said, both have exfoliants in them. They've got uh, you know, chunks of oatmeal to take away that dead skin. Second round of my subscription, I ordered the cool fresh aloe, which is not a exfoliant it's just nice it smells beautiful it's my favorite smell of the soap so far and then i tried this week the cold brew cleanse absolutely love all of them go to drsquatch.com add 20 dollars worth of product to your cart and enter the promo code madhouse you will save on your order and at the same time support james and i here on the podcast here's what i'm going to recommend your first order you're going to want to get two bars of soap okay take the squatch quiz at the top of the page Find the ones that suit you best, suit your needs. You're going to want to get a soap saver. You're investing in good quality soap. You're going to want it to last. So get yourself that soap saver. And the hair care kit is absolutely clutch. Great conditioner, great shampoo. I learned from Dr. Squatch, you're not supposed to shampoo your hair every day, just every two or three days. Since I've done that, my hair's been thicker. My hair's been healthier. My scalp has been more moist. Everybody loves that word. So go to drsquatch.com. Try out some of their soaps. I'm just looking on their website right now. A new scent for the 4th of July, Freedom Fresh. I got to try this one out. I'm very excited about Freedom Fresh. It is a red, white, and blue soap, damn it, because of course it is. DrSquatch.com, promo code MADHOUSE. We really, really appreciate your support. James, is there anything else we need to tie up here? Any loose ends we haven't gotten to on today's podcast? 
uh, current hockey. There is a little bit of uh, developments this week in terms of the NHL potentially evaluating hub cities. We could talk about that for a moment. Yes, and Chicago, one of the finalists, one of the six Uh, finalists. Chicago still among six teams still in the running. Uh, This week, the NHL knocked out uh, several cities. They knocked out Columbus, knocked out Pittsburgh, they knocked out Minneapolis and Dallas. We're all uh, told they were no longer in the running. Chicago still in along with Las Vegas, which I'm going to c- circle back to in a moment, and Los Angeles. And then up up north in Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto, all three of those Canadian cities still in. And it sure seems like the NHL would like to have at least one of these hubs in Canada I wanted to bring up Vegas because for a while now, Vegas has been kind of considered a front runner or even a favorite to land up the role as one of these hub cities. Data out of Clark County has not been looking good lately. Cases are continuing to go up there. In fact, the governor of Nevada just mandated literally about 20 minutes ago or so that all people going out outdoors into public in Nevada will now have to wear masks. You would have to think that the NHL is keeping a very close eye on where cases are starting to go up. And I would think even if Vegas is a favorite because of the amenities, because of all the hotels that they have and the ability to kind of set up this so-called bubble to make sure that teams in the hub city are safe, you'd have to imagine the NHL is still not digging uh, going to a place where the case numbers continue to go up, especially in light of what's happened to multiple Major League Baseball teams in Florida and what's going on in other cities like Los Angeles and then down in Arizona and in Texas. They've got to be keeping a really close eye on this because obviously the COVID numbers not looking too great in several of the places that the league had been considering having uh, hub cities place. Well, I think that's why the, the longer this goes on and the longer Chicago remains in the race, uh, the better I feel about it because Illinois has been doing a kick-ass job. And I know that uh, Governor Pritzker and, and Mayor Lightfoot lost a lot of fans during this whole thing, but sometimes a politician needs to be unpopular. And look, you can praise one thing about a politician while criticizing another part. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think the way Pritzker and Lightfoot have handled it up to this point has been very good. And the people of Illinois have responded for the most part, and that's why we're allowed to have nice things now. We took it seriously. Uh, we started, we wore masks, we distanced, we stayed home. And all of a sudden, Illinois is opening up, Chicago is opening up, and we're starting to get back to reality a little bit. So good job, Illinois. Good job, everybody listening that that did your job here. And I hope that's not too late for the southern states that did not take this seriously and, and you know chose to politicize it over following the science. Uh, I hope it doesn't get so, so bad that it gets out of control. It, it's kind of there already, but hopefully they can... I don't know. Hopefully they can take it around, but it's really, really take it down. Uh, but it's really, really sad. But hey, you know what? Good news for Chicago. Um, like we've talked about a couple times since this news came out, the abundance of facilities and hotel rooms really works in Chicago's favor. So we will see. It's very, very strange. And now with baseball back, and they're all playing in their home home buildings. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's just it's kind of crazy to think that this is all going to be happening. You know, in about a month or so. I, I just. In my wildest dreams, would not have imagined we get to this point. We still might not. This whole yeah, thing can go gonna, to hell. I was actually going to bring that up. Like we're we're already seeing some uh, kind of 
holes in the bubble, so to speak. I mean, even on the PGA Tour where social distancing is kind of the order of the day, like you, it's not a team sport. Like you are able to stand fairly far away from your opponents in that sport. And yet we keep seeing positive tests on the PGA Tour. And we just had, I know Brooks Kepka's caddy had to drop out of the tournament that they were in this week and Brooks withdrew. Uh, it just is something that, you know, we're going to have to get used to this. Like Charlie Blackman for the Rockies just tested positive for COVID. A lot of teams down in Florida that have been training are starting to see positive tests, including the Marlins, the Phillies, the, Lightning. the Blue Jays. This is, as these guys start to come into facilities and as they start to get tested, I think we need to steal ourselves for the reality that some of these guys are going to test positive and that the bubble is not going to be something that's a completely foolproof solution and it's going to be really interesting for me to see how the NHL and other pro sports that are going to look to resume play the way that they're going to deal with that if and when they do get those positive tests. Yeah. I mean, did you see the Austin Matthews thing is weird. Like that story is trying to go away for some reason. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but um, Austin Matthews was reported by uh, Steve Simmons last week that he had the virus, but it's kind of like no one else is reporting it, which is kind of strange. I'm not the biggest Steve Simmons fan, but it's kind of a random thing to just throw out there without it being true. So I would also like to point out that I'm sure Austin Matthews was in Arizona. He was. Yes, he was. So, I mean, and I, and I do also agree with you that it is very strange and it does, it does kind of bring up like an interesting question to me is who decides how like players are identified that come down with COVID like, doesn't that it seems a little especially when it's a situation like that where the team's not confirming like much information like what responsibility do reporters have not to out players that you know test positive I mean it's not like it's I guess you can argue it's in the interest of the fans but I would hardly consider that to be like the public interest to let people know what's going on with that well at some point you get into HIPAA violations too so it is a slippery slope. It is very strange. Uh, I don't know if we need to know specifically who has it, but if look, if if they announced that four Blackhawks had COVID-19, we'd want to know who they are selfishly, but I don't know if it really changes the situation. I just, this is going to be weird. Like imagine the Hawks are, in, you know, they upset the Oilers. Next round, they're playing Dallas and Patrick Kane gets COVID-19. God forbid, right? And then right. he's got to miss two weeks and then what? All these sports, if they're even played, are going to be very, very different, very, very weird. And I heard baseball historian George Will on the score this week sort of saying, like, whatever happens, however these teams win, it's not going to feel right. It's not going to feel complete. Um, But, hey, sports are back. Uh, You know, asterisk. We hope so. Um, But, man, what a a day for the Blackhawks. What a week in hockey. And before we know it, uh, training camp will be open on July 10th, and we will have some actual hockey to look forward to but until then we're going to wrap things up here thanks for listening to this week's episode of the madhouse chicago hockey podcast for my partner james Naveau. i'm jay zawoski have a great rest of your week we'll talk to you next time on the madhouse podcast the madhouse chicago hockey podcast was brought to you by triple threat sports marishka's and crest hill dr squatch and by fry the coop